This is Eric Luton, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time and to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person or even support us financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn more. So I've, I've done something the last two weeks. It's symbolic, and I'm going to do it again. I, and that is I'm going to remove my shoes before I speak. There's nothing super spiritual about it. I'm not trying to make a statement other than what I'm declaring I'm making a statement of, and that is a readiness to enter into a new thing. And two weeks ago, I gave a message called Removing Old Sandals, and it's very significant that Moses encounters the burning bush, removes his shoes, he's on holy ground, and God begins a new thing. And the nation of Israel that had been in bondage for so many hundreds of years is going to be uh, released, and there's a deliverance. And then you're going to see, after 40 years in the wilderness, you're going to see Joshua encounter uh, the angel of the Lord, and he is going to remove his sandals and a new thing is going to begin and they're going to take the land of promise. And so shoes, the shoes that didn't wear out for 40 years in the wilderness are going to be taken off. Supernatural shoes. So it's not that what you're taking off is bad. It's that God wants to move you forward and oftentimes you want to cling to what you've always had. So by me taking off my shoes, what I'm saying is, I love what I've had. I, for instance, I love this ministry that we have here and what we've done over the past uh, 10, 11 years. And there's part of me that just wants to keep it that way. Can't we just keep everything the same? It's like the clamor of the human soul. When you have something good, every parent, before, as they see their children growing up, is like, couldn't we just keep them young? Why do they have to grow? It's the same ache that we all have. We are entering a season of newness. God wants to do something new. I love where we've been, but I am deliberately wanting to make a declaration that the new thing is the thing I choose. I want to go where the cloud is going. I do not want to stay where I have been because if God is moving, what am I going to get out of where I, where I have been if God's not there anymore? I want to go where he's going, okay? So I'm going to do this, and I should always make sure before I tie my shoes in the morning to not do a double knot. Uh, I think I'm going to take these off at church, but I always forget. And then right as church is going to start, I think, oh yeah, now I have a double knot on my shoes. So it's a little harder than it looks, guys. This is tough stuff. I'm you know, making a huge sacrifice to get these shoes off. <laughs> so guys, that is a symbol that I want to maintain which is Eric Ludi is ready to follow a cloud. I am ready to go where God wants to lead this ministry, the Church of Jesus Christ right now. If we have to start meeting in basements in hiding, so be it. I want to go where God's going. I do not want to cower in this hour and act as if the devil's all that. I believe that God is all that. And I believe that he has a strategy and he has wisdom for the saints of God in this hour. And the church of Jesus Christ is going to come out stronger, not weaker. 
When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Fact. When the enemy makes his move, God is never caught off guard. It's like the ultimate chess match. And the enemy goes, ha ha! And knocks down a key piece of God's and God smirks back and says, aha! And puts him in checkmate. My God puts the enemy in checkmate. So even though it may look like your Savior is weak right now, like he's fading, oh no, Jesus, pull yourself together. You know what it would have looked like on the cross? A bloody pulp of a man, mocked and ridiculed, hanging naked, and then he breathes his last? Oh, okay, uh, Jesus, I was looking to you as my Messiah. He still is. Just because he looks weak and just because he's apparently wheezing his last does not mean that something grand is not happening. Right now, God is doing something in this earth, though most of us in here do not see it. God wants us to be aware that he is still God. All right. So that's sort of a summary of this entire series that we've been going through. It's on Deuteronomy. We've been sort of walking through that landscape of Deuteronomy. We're in chapter 7. Whether or not I'm even going to do even one more after this, I almost switched back to my Spiritual Biography of a Nation series today. But here I am, one more in Deuteronomy. So my goal wasn't to just finish Deuteronomy. It was to establish this idea of God beginning something new, of God doing a second work as opposed to the first. It's the shedding of Moses and the putting on of Joshua that you're seeing in this book of Deuteronomy. In the very end, you're going to see a transfer of power from a first unto a second. It's a second invite. You know it's the same invite? I want you to go into the land of promise and take down those giants. Second time it's been given, but it's a second invite to a second generation. First generation that, didn't, that died of unbelief in the wilderness, they're dead now. Now it's time to give this, this same invitation a second time to a second generation to cross a second body of water, not the Red Sea, but the Jordan River, into a second territory to live a second life. This is the gospel. This is what it is. We must be born again. We must become a second. To enter into the kingdom of heaven, you must put off a first. It's called Adam, an old man, and now put on the new man, Jesus Christ. So even the name Deuteronomy, Deutero means second, isn't that amazing? Second law, nomo means law, and so it's the second giving of the law is basically how it would be summarized, but it's like the second of everything. Everything in this book is seconds, and I love seconds. I'm very attracted to seconds. Jesus is the second man. That's what he's known as. Isn't that a weird statement? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So 77 generations since Adam, and he's called the second man? Mm-hmm. He's the second supernatural man. Adam was a supernatural man, built by God, supernaturally. And then you have a second one, born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem. He's Emmanuel, God with us. All right, I like this one. I choose the second man. The first Adam failed. The last Adam was victorious. And so as a result, the key to the gospel is recognizing the significance of the second man. So this series is called The Shadow Nation Rises, which I just like the sound of it. Because uh, everything about the nation of Israel in the Old Testament is a shadow. It's a shadow of a kingdom, a kingdom of heaven. 
a kingdom in which you and I are being grafted into when we believe in Jesus. And so you look at the Old Testament and you see Deuteronomy and you actually see something that is going to teach you how to live in this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, as Christians. Understanding the process of growth and maturity in the kingdom of heaven. So in uh, chapter 7 of Deuteronomy, you're going to see Moses begin to remind the people. Remember, this is a rehearsal. This is a second giving. When you go into this land, here's how you need to live. So when you go in, I'm speaking to the audience here, when you go into the territory of promise that Jesus Christ's blood has made a way for us to enter into, when you go into this land of promise, exceeding great and precious promises, how are you to take that land? You know that we have a pattern in the Old Testament for how we are to take this territory. How we are to acquire the good stuff or the land that flows with milk and honey. It really helps if you like milk and honey when you hear that uh, metaphor. Because some people are like, I don't even like milk and honey. Okay, just picture something you do like then. Because this is the best of the best. This is the dreamland. This is the land that everything in your soul was designed to match with. When God matches you with a spouse, when he does it. I mean, we have Joseph and Jenna that just showed up after their honeymoon. The, you notice uh, Joseph has, uh, and Jenna, Jenna always looks tan, but Joseph has lost his tan, and, you know, and he's from Florida, so he's like, I have to get it back. So I think they, did you guys uh, vacation in Florida? Aha. <laughs> and you can just tell it just looking at Joseph. And so, uh, but when you fall in love, it's a perfect match, and it fills something. It, it is a delight, and that's what the land flown with milk and honey is. You were designed for something. If you want to say for a spouse, for this fullness, it's Jesus is what you were designed for. It's interesting. I remember Leslie, when she used to speak to girls, when she was talking about Prince Charming, she goes, she was saying, Prince Charming truly, if you put a capital P and a capital C on it, Prince Charming, that's Jesus. Jesus is what every girl dreams of. He is. He's the ultimate man. Now, for us as guys, it's a little awkward, okay? It's like Prince Charming. However, he's the perfect match for the bride. And we, as the believers, are the dependent one. We are the weaker vessel in need of the strength of Prince Charming. He is the perfect match. This land is the perfect match for what we were built for. We were built to take this land, to live in this land, to inhabit this land, to flourish in this land, to bear fruit in this land, to multiply what is in us in this land. We were designed for it. So understanding the process of growth and maturity in the kingdom of heaven. This is very, very important. Because some of us think that when we cross the Jordan River into this land, it's like, okay, I've said adios to Moses, to the first. I'm following Joshua. It's the same name as Jesus. So I'm leaving the first behind. I'm putting off Adam, and I'm putting on Christ. All right. All right, so is the land mine now? Well, actually, it's still inhabited by a whole bunch of bad guys. What? but I, I just crossed the Jordan River. I was following Joshua. My land is still full of a whole bunch of Canaanites? A whole bunch of obstacles? Yeah, and so take the land. Well, I thought, I, well, but I believed. I, I, I had faith. I remember the previous generation that died, they didn't believe, but I believed, and now I crossed the Jordan, and it should, all my enemies should just go, <gasps> and fall over. Instead, they're all still standing there with their swords drawn saying, don't you dare take another step. A lot of us get confused 
when we enter into this land. Because I thought my God was powerful. I, well, how come the, my enemies are still standing here? Well, because you have to take the land. Yeah, but I thought they would just fall down dead. Didn't he say he's going to go before me? Yeah. So you start walking, he'll go before you. We have to understand how God takes the land. So here we are in Deuteronomy 7, 21 through 23. You shall not dread them, for the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you, little by little. You will not be able to put an end to them quickly. What? Stop. Is that a shocker to your soul? This is God Almighty. Does he not have the power to do it? Oh, oh, he has the power to do it. In his economy, in the way that he has designed us to take this territory of promise, you will take it little by little. You will not be able to put an end to them quickly. Huh? What? what, what? And yet, any of us that have walked long in the shoes of faith, understand this. You see, there are still battles ahead in the soul of Eric Ludi that I haven't yet fought. There is testings and trainings that the Spirit of God is still to lead me into. There is growth and dimension of maturity that I have not yet reached. And yet I've been hanging out with God in a serious relationship of abiding, saying, God, I want all you have for a long time. And if I were to start recruiting some of the other uh, Christians that have been around the block for a lot of years, they would, and I were to say, so is there more land to be taken in your life? And they would say, absolutely. In fact, the longer you live, the more you realize how much land needs to be taken. And yet, all of the land is his, and it's all promised. So why don't I just have it? And this is one of the great mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And when you think, there's this whole idea in Christianity out there of instant maturity and instant sanctification, where the moment I believe, I am instantly perfected. Now, let let me get something clear. The one you have believed in is perfect. And the reason you even have access into the throne of grace is because he is perfectly righteous. He is perfectly perfect. He is holy, holy, holy. And he becomes your access into the throne of grace where you may now seek the grace of God. But underneath this clothing of perfection is you. And you are a work in process. And that's okay. It's okay that you are not yet perfected. You are clothed in his perfection, but God is now working little by little on you to remove from you the dross, to remove from you the chaff. There's all sorts of illustrations in Scripture. There is a process that we go through of refinement, of maturity. So listen to this. You will not be able to put an end to them quickly, for the wild beasts would grow too numerous for you. There's actually a reason. Now what that equates to for us, well, the wild beasts, and we're like, who cares about wild beasts? If you take the land too quickly and you haven't inhabited the land, If you are not yet fit to actually build a city there and to maintain the wells there, then the wild beasts will come in and they will begin to own the land again. And so as a result, there is a need for God to move us forward little by little. 
But the Lord your God will deliver them before you and will throw them into great confusion until they are destroyed. So there's a promise that God is going to lead you in this battle. He is going to go before you and he is going to bring confusion to all of your enemies. Every single one of your enemies is going to fall. Guaranteed. But you have a job. And that is to take it little by little. Little by little. I don't know how you handle that, but a young Eric Ludi bristles at such a statement. It's like, God, I, am, I have so much energy right now, and I'm ready to do all of the clearing out of the land right now. I think we could get it done in one week. I think we could. I mean, this is how Eric Ludi thinks anyways. You know, if we're going to overhaul the house, it's like, let's just get it done. What do we have? One week? Let's do it. And then about four days into that, I'm like, okay, maybe that was a little unrealistic because we're still on the first room. <laughs> But God knows how this needs to be taken, and he's okay with it. I think that's an important thing for us to recognize is we want to do this for him. I want to be perfect for him. I don't want any more weakness in my life. I want to be fully strengthened in him. I want to make every decision right. I want every thought to be correct. I want every word to be marked by his love and kindness. I don't want any more of Eric. It's a good desire. What I'm sharing with you is actually what the Spirit of God desires too. It's like someone coming to the edge of the, the Jordan River and saying, I want to go into that land and we're going to drive out every single one of those creatures that have stood against the glory of God. Every single inhabitant that has defied God is going. That's the right attitude. And then God, before you go in, he says, I need to let you know how it's going to work. We can't do it too quickly. What? It's going to take time. Why? Because I love you and I know what's best. I know how this nation, this kingdom will be established. So there's a bait of over-eagerness and over-eagerness can oftentimes lead to a fudging on doctrine as well. When someone says, Look, I'm perfect in Christ. I don't sin anymore. Have you ever heard that one? I cannot even make a mistake because I'm in Christ. It's like, hmm, okay. That's actually not how, I mean, it sounds really good on paper. And there's reasons why people will come to those conclusions. You can take scripture and go, and, and force it into that position. And that's because you are in the one who is perfect. And guess what? You've also been given everything you need for life and godliness, so there's no excuse, right? You actually have what you need to make the right decisions. However, God wants you to take Jericho first. So you can take Jericho perfectly, but there's other territories, there's other strongholds that you aren't even aware of yet that have not even been dealt with in your life. Isn't that a strange thought to think that a new believer has things that God is not even addressing or convicting them of yet? But God's saying, I'm convicting you of Jericho. Let's take it. You're like, isn't that all? You're over eager, so you take your focus off of Jericho. And go, I know there's more out there. You focus on what I'm focused on right now. Let me deal with that. We're dealing with Jericho right now, and I want you to march around the city. What? Everything about taking God's kingdom is a little strange to us as humans. The bait of discouragement. Well, you could also be baited with discouragement after you finally take Jericho after those seven days. It's like, wow, that was a lot of work. That was a little more work than I thought. I thought I would just sort of show up and go, Jericho, fall. And it would go, poof. Instead, God wants me to march. God wants to, and seven times, and then, you know, doo -doo -doo. Uh, why do we need to do all that? 
Every dimension of the taking of this land matters. God is not wasting your time. Every step of obedience is part of the process because he could obliterate all your enemies. He could. But because he loves you and he knows what you need to be fortified, he is going to do it this way. And he is going to prove to you his faithfulness. He is going to prove that as you trust him and as you go where he goes, you will see mighty empires fall. If they just fell, you wouldn't learn that lesson. Instead, God is a good father. He's a great instructor. And so he's going to walk us step by step and he is going to educate and tutor our soul in taking territory. The bait of spiritual sloppiness. If it's not little by little, guess what you do? You come into a town, you're like, all right, that's good enough. Let's move on to the next town. It's like, no, there's still some enemy faction there. We need to deal with it all. And so God is going to walk them through little by little so that it is thorough as opposed to sloppy. If we rush something, have you ever noticed what happens when you rush a project? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you become sloppy. Have you ever been around one of those guys that is finicky and just very particular about doing everything right? And if you're one of those people that just wants to move forward and get it done, oh, it's really frustrating because that person, no, 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 we're going to redo that. We're going to redo that. You put the board in, uh, you know, and it's not straight. It's like, well, come on. It's good enough for me. It's like, well, it's not good enough for me, and you hired me on this job. It seems like I'm always hiring that person. <laughs> the bait of self-justification. So imagine you take Jericho, and you're thinking, you know what? We have the the plains of Gilgal here, and we can, you have a nice view uh, of the Jordan River. There's nothing wrong with this. This is good enough for us. You see, when it becomes little by little, there's all sorts of dimensions where a lot of people stop short because they, weren't, they didn't sign up for all this extra bonus work of taking the land little by little. I thought God was just gonna wipe them all out. I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for that. And so as a result, they pitched their tent in Gilgal. And they don't progress and take the fullness of the land. And they justify it the whole time, going, well, I mean, uh, this is good enough. I still took the land. Look, at this is part of the land. I took the land. I believed God. I mean, my parents, they died in the wilderness because of unbelief, but I took the land. Yeah, you took a little bit of the land. But there's a whole bunch more of the land to take. What are you doing? Hey, pull up your tent stakes. What are you doing pitching it here? We still have work to do. We have a kingdom to establish. Deuteronomy 7.22, the Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. You will not be able to put an end to them quickly for the wild beasts would grow too numerous for you. So do I overlook the lingering Canaanites? If you're taking, imagine you had Jericho. Should I just overlook the fact that there are Canaanites out there? If right now, there are things in the life of Eric Ludi that I'm not aware of. There are. And, you know, I could panic about that and go, oh, no, there's still some Canaanites. Or I could trust and I could keep my gaze on God. Where he moves, I move. And if he's moving into that village to say, hey, we need to take down that, well, then that's where I go. One of the, my statements to students all the time is, the devil wants to get you to focus inward, to self-examine constantly. It's like, oh, is there anything there? Was that, what's my motive there? And, and as a result, it can be a huge distraction from what you're supposed to be focused on, Jesus. And so as a result, what we need to do 
is let God do the focusing here. We take our focus, our spiritual focus, and stick it on him. Do I panic that there is still purifying work to do? No, because he's in charge of it, little by little. The word sanctification is our key operative word for it. And when you hear the word sanctification, it's a big sounding word, right? It basically means to be made holy. And so in this process of sanctification, if I could give a good metaphor for it based on what we're talking about today, the kingdom changeover from Canaanite rule to Joshua rule. So there is a process. This is run by Canaanites, and now it's gonna be run by Joshua. You have all sorts of dimensions of your life that are the same. Remember when you first came to God? And there are certain dimensions that he immediately seized. And he said, we're going to take this. But there were other things, like say your free time. Your free time was still under Canaanite rule, but you weren't convicted over it. You hadn't even thought about it. And then as you progressed in the kingdom, God suddenly puts his finger on your free time. And you're like, what? what does that have to do with anything? It needs to come under Joshua rule now. You see, it's been under Canaanite rule. It's like, why didn't you convict me about it three years ago when I first came to you? Because we weren't dealing with that yet. We were dealing with this, 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 and this. And you could look through your life and you see this heritage of God moving into your life and actually expanding. If any of you guys, students from this last five weeks, remember my stories about going to missionary school, you know, with my weight set and whipping off my shirt on the first day and strutting around, there was some Canaanite rule that was still lingering inside of Eric and I did not see it. And I was dead serious about Jesus too. I mean, I'm all in for Jesus and I am... Not that healthy. And that's the same. That's why we have a great deal of patience with the development of other believers. Because we could look around in this body and we're gonna see a whole bunch of unfinished business. And that could really bother us too. It's like, you should be perfect as he is perfect. You should be holy as he is holy. You wanna know the secret to that? Climb into Jesus. His holiness is now yours. His righteousness is now yours. His perfection is yours. That's the great secret to perfection. The rest of it is now going to be a work. It is a taking of territory little by little. It's known as sanctification. It doesn't happen instantaneously. The access to all the tools needed for the cleansing, for the washing, for the overhaul, for the regeneration, for the renewing of the mind are all there. However, now you need to implement them. You need to actually take one foot and stick it in front of the other and start walking. You need to obey. When God says go, you go. When God says swing the sword, you swing the sword. And as a result, you're going to see enemy faction that has been in your life since you can even remember, since you were a little peewee, are now going to be brought low. And the fresh awe of God's victory will be with you every day of your life. I'm gonna give you a a new word, spiritual maturity. You see, the idea of maturity... Say a five-year-old desired to be mature because they heard that maturity is a very, very important thing. So like, I'm gonna be mature. A five-year-old has limitations, and that is there are certain things they cannot be without the passage of time. They just can't. There are certain things that even in bodily development, they cannot rush. And you could say that's unfair to the five-year-old. If they have a desire to be 30, they should just be able to be 30. And yet we understand in the basic framework of God's creation, that isn't how it works. But we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. How do you think that works? This new creation in Christ Jesus goes from being a newborn 
to being a one-year-old to being a two-year-old. For any of you that know your math, you know what's next. A three-year-old to being a four-year-old. You guys catching on or do you want me to keep counting? (laughs) There's a lot of numbers between that and 30. You don't just become 30 because you esteem 30. You become 30 by living out your first year and then your second year and then your third year. And you become a healthy 30-year-old when you live out those years well. You become an unhealthy 30-year-old. I mean, for instance, if you're still wearing a diaper when you're 30, something's awkward. If you're wearing a diaper when you're one, everyone thinks it's cute. Isn't that interesting? It's the same thing that's true with the kingdom of heaven, and we have a grace for one another in this development. If someone stagnates in their development and refuses to keep going, that is something that is needing to be dealt with because it is unhealthy to stop the forward progression. In other words, oh, I did little by little for the first few months of my Christianity and God was doing a great work, but then I figured that was enough. That's actually something that needs a swift rebuke. Because God desires us to take the whole, but the fact that it has taken a long time to get that whole, and there's some of us in here that are still scrapping and scraping in this land to take more territory, that's normal. Any pastor that you have, any leader that you esteem is still taking territory. There is none but Christ that has achieved the fullness of the land in their life. We are all a work in process that are being refined and we are maturing more and more. So daring to go after the more. So I've used this term for years, which is daring to ask for more is a a message I gave years ago. But there's more to be had. And the fact that we have labored as long as we have we could oftentimes think that we must have reached the outer ends of the land of promise. I mean, look, at I've been, I've been going after this for five weeks now. You have just begun to discover the fullness of what God is and what God has. If the Israelites had crossed the Jordan and they, they looked at it after five weeks and they're like, you know what, we took Jericho and we had a little problem with Ai, but then we, you know, we got that ache and sin out of town and you know, we took care of Ai, you know, we're doing pretty well. That's not bad for the first five weeks. Let's, we have some good territory here. I don't think we need to expand beyond this. It would have been a criminal act. Don't stop short of what God has for you. The fact that it, is, it takes time goes with the territory. That's why Moses is preparing us for that. You need to mature, and to mature, you have to exercise every step of the way what you know to be true. So Oswald Chambers, there's a couple quotes I'm going to give you. If you're a student at LSU, you've probably heard these. These are great quotes. The proof that we have the vision is that we are reaching out for more than we have grasped. It is a bad thing to be satisfied spiritually. Isn't it an interesting thought to think that discontent is a bad thing, but there's a holy version of discontentment. It's the right form of discontentment. It's like, we've taken Jericho, we've taken I but there's a whole bunch more land that must be taken for the glory of God. It's the right sort of discontentment, if you want to call it discontentment. How about this quote? Andrew Murray. You will ask me, are you satisfied? Have you got all you want? God forbid. With the deepest feeling of my soul, can I say that I'm satisfied with Jesus now? But there is also the consciousness of how much fuller the revelation can be of the exceeding abundance of his grace. Let us never hesitate to say, this is only the beginning. 
So here's just a quote for us to chew on. I love where I'm at, Lord, and I thank you for bringing me here. But please, take me further up and further in. Do you desire to pitch your tent right now in Gilgal, or do you want to press forward to allow God to go before you and to take down enemies that you may never have seen before? You may not even know that they're over that next crest or that next ridge, but if you would allow God to take you forward, you will see things happen in your life that will change the world around you. So there's an encounter. Elijah is actually going to depart. It's, it's quite the story. He's going to go up in a whirlwind. Right? And so the prophets of Israel know this. Elisha, who's his understudy, knows this, and they're all somewhat disconcerted about it. You don't want to lose Elijah. I mean, this man is a demonstration of the power of God on earth. You don't really want to lose him, and I'm guessing that's probably similar to the way it felt when, like, Peter or Paul we're going to be passing. You know, Paul's going to be beheaded. It's like, ah, I don't know that I really can handle losing Paul. And this is a Paul of the Old Testament. This is a massive figure in the Old Testament. And so they cross the Jordan River. In fact, uh, Elijah actually strikes the, the river with his, uh, with his mantle and it parts. It's like, wow. Uh, talk about making a scene. It's sort of like Elisha. Do you see that? The guy you're following is pretty impressive. And they walk across on dry land into the wilderness, and so they're heading into the, sort of the opposite direction of where we're going in our story, right? Because something significant is going to take place. So the first is going to leave and depart so that the second can take on the mantle. Hmm. Hint, hint of what's going to come and what we represent as the church of Jesus Christ. So this first, this is the, the statement. Elijah says out in the wilderness, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. Does that sound familiar? Ask. Ask. Hmm. Elisha is going to ask, and his ask is so much better than our ask. I just feel like my ask, if, if God were to come to me right now and say, ask, Eric, whatever you want, it is almost overwhelming. It's like, oh, I don't know if you've ever gone through that exercise. I'll go through it every now and then when I'm driving in a car by myself, and I have a little time. I'll do it afresh, and I'll, I'll imagine that God is coming to me saying, God, Eric, ask whatever you will. I'll do it for you. Oh, God, thank you. Uh, mm, what should I ask? It's a great exercise. What Elisha is going to ask for is so utterly ridiculous. Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Whoa, 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 Elisha, do you even know who you're talking to? You're talking to the man that has demonstrated the power of God more than any other human possibly before his time. He has called down fire from heaven. He has raised dead people to life. I mean, this guy is like the picture of God power. I want double what you have. Now, in, in most of our minds, we think, to get double means that Elijah doesn't even have the fullness. That means what Elijah has could be doubled. <laughs> I wouldn't even start with that premise. I would be thinking, could I just have a little of what you have? Okay, that's where I'm disappointed with Eric's request. I'm like, okay, I'm really glad I'm not the one you know, in this story here. Because all of you would be like, boo. Uh, Eric, ask whatever you will. And it's like, there it is up on the screen. I'm like, I'm so embarrassed, guys, to show you what I said. 
Elijah, could I just have a little bit of what you have? Just a little. I mean, I would just love to know that the same spirit that was in Elijah was in me. I mean, that's an amazing thought. And all of you would be like, boo. Because the request that is needed in this situation is so much more grand. Please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Look at Elijah's response. Uh, uh, You've asked a hard thing. It's like, ask, ask, whoa, you've asked a hard thing. This is what he says. If you see me taken up into heaven, you will know that you will receive what you asked. And then it says that Elijah was taken up, and it says a simple phrase, and Elisha saw it. In Scripture, too, it's profound. You can actually count how many miracles Elijah did, and you can count how many Elisha did. Do you know that they're exactly double minus one? When Elisha dies, it's double minus one. I know some of you are like, what? That's ridiculous. Okay, just follow me here. It's, it's minus one, but then Elisha has this sepulcher, and these guys are carrying around a dead body, and they don't know what to do with it, so they throw it into Elisha's sepulcher, his grave, and the guy pops back to life. And God's like, double. <laughs> Asking for double. And I want you to measure where you're at right now, what you have right now in your spiritual life. And I want you to measure if you're leaning forward toward more or if you're leaning backwards with satisfaction that I have enough. And if you are leaning backwards, I want a severe conviction of the Holy Spirit to come upon you this morning. I want him to correct your posture. There's more to be taken. There's better prayer requests to ask. You're asking for a little small bit of Elijah, of what Elijah had. I want you to think more like Elisha this morning. We have a world that is fading fast. The representation of truth in our generation is diminished, it's clouded over. And what we need are men and women who are willing to ask boldly for God to come and use them as a vessel for such an hour as this. We cannot be passive in this hour. We cannot be satisfied by the fact that COVID-19, we survived it somehow. Oh, I made it out the other side. We have this t-shirt, I made it through COVID-19. COVID-19 is nothing. We have something bigger to accomplish than to survive COVID-19. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are responsible to bring all that was accomplished on the cross, all that is in heaven, down to this earth so that it becomes real and every knee bows and every tongue confesses that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We have a job to do. Lean forward. Ask bigger Asking for hard things. You've asked a hard thing. Are you asking a hard thing? Or are you asking an easy thing? God, could you just sort of help get me through today? Well, praise God. That's not a bad prayer. I'm not going to criticize it. However, it wouldn't look good up on the screen if it was in Elijah's uh, column or Elisha's column. Ask what I can do for you, Elisha. Could you just sort of help me make it through the grieving process of you leaving? Yeah. You've asked an easy thing. Okay, of course. Yeah, God's grace is sufficient for that. But God's grace is sufficient for so much more. You need to understand who you serve and what he desires to do in this earth. 
Matthew 7, 7, ask. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. So what are you asking for? What are you seeking after? Are you satisfied? God, just protect my tent in Gilgal. Or are you leaning forward saying, God, I want the whole enchilada. I want everything that you promised. I want it in full measure. Lord, I want more. Matthew 18, 19. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So, not just the individual ask, but now the corporate ask. Are we asking hard things as the body of Christ? You know the reason why a lot of people don't ask hard things? Is because they are afraid of something known as disillusionment. Well, I, you know, I don't want to ask for something and have God not do it. So we don't ask? Ask boldly. God answers when we ask. He may answer different than we ask, but he will answer. God knows what he needs to get done in this earth. But you need to start asking at the level that God functions. Impossible prayers. Asking for things that God would want, but God, only God could do. So there are things that we know that God wants. My, my family, and we, when I was putting together this message, I recognized I need to re- refresh this for our, our family. Our family usually has, every one of the kids has an impossible prayer. And so as a family, we pray for these impossible prayers. Our impossible prayers are a little dated now. We need a fresh supply of impossible prayers. I want us to be praying as the church impossible things. Asking for things that God would want. We know that. Just study scripture. You know this is what God wants. This is what he wills. But only God could do. Uh, Now we're getting closer to the territory we should be hanging out in. The lesson of Joash. So Joash, a king of Israel, there's not one king in all of the lineage of Israel. So we have the lineage of Israel of kings, and then we have the Judean kings, or the kings of Judah. In the line of Judah, there's a few, a handful of good kings that did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. In the lineage of kings in the north, Israel, uh, not one. And so, I mean, you see some hints, like Jehu, for instance, not the same guy, but Jehu is actually going to do that which is right in the eyes of the Lord when he first starts. And you're like, oh, we have one good Israeli king, oh, and then he's going to fall to pieces. Joash has these moments. Like, you're going to see it here. There's, there's like a, a signal that you could look at to go, oh, hey, maybe there's hope. And then he's going to fall to pieces. But there's a lesson in this that is pretty profound. This is at the deathbed of Elisha. So we just saw the departing of Elijah, and now we're going to go to the end of this man's life of Elisha the one who asked for double. And you're going to see some similarities. 2 Kings 13. Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, now this exact statement is the same statement that Elisha is going to say all those years before when Elijah is taken up into the, cloud, into the heavens in a whirlwind. And that is, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. You almost like get the idea that Joash is saying, so what did Elisha say? And so then he says the same thing as he sees Elisha dying. Says the same quote. Only time it's in the Bible is the two partings. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. 
And Elisha put his hand on the king's hand, and he said, open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till that you have destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrows. So he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. Again, I'm really glad I'm not in this story because I feel like if I was in this story, I would look worse than Joash. If Elisha said, take the arrows, and he said, strike the ground, you know what I'm going to think? I'm going to go, okay. Joash is going to do better than me. That's why this is embarrassing. He's going to strike three times. Whoom, whoom, whoom. That's the sound of striking the ground, whoom. (laughs) And watch what happens. And the man of God, Elisha, was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Then Elisha died and they buried him. (laughs) (laughs) The Bible zooms in and gives intimate, granular detail to, to conversation and quotations and then massively swings forward and summarizes. I love that. Uh, Take up the arrows right now. God has given you something. Strike the ground. You know what God wants to do. He wants to defeat Syria. In this story, that's what's happening. And he wants to utterly destroy Syria. Strike the ground. Okay. And how many times are you going to strike it? That's a key question. You see, are you leaning forward for more? Or are you back going, you know what, look, I'm satisfied right now. As long as we defeat Syria, that's all that matters. And so as a result, you don't want to take the fullness of it. You want just, you know, whatever's easy. Whatever's the easiest way to access this. With every step, boldness, daring, audacity, and courage. So when we finish the book of Deuteronomy, we're going to have a transition. And Joshua is going to begin. The book of Joshua. And Joshua is going to begin in his leadership position. And this is right at the very beginning of that book. Joshua 1. Moses, my servant, is dead. This is God speaking to the people. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses, From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. God is defining this land of promise. It's not just the plains of Gilgal. There's a lot more to it. He's starting by saying, go take it. And he says, wherever the soles of your feet tread. Isn't that an interesting statement? You can't just look over yonder and go, oh yeah, I'd like that. You have to go take it. You have to set your feet upon it. Well, that's a lot of work. Mm. Same is true in your soul. That setting of feet is oftentimes likened throughout Christian history to prayer, to the ask of God and that too. It's actually going and gripping it with faith, going and taking that which God has set before you and not letting it just sit there idle. 
No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. There is nothing that you could possibly run up against in this pursuit of the fullness of the land of promise that could possibly push you back. Nothing. Every enemy faction that you run into is weaker than the God you serve. You must know that. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So here's a little mathematical equation. We understand the little by little. It's going to take time. It's going to be work. It's not going to be easy. Wherever we get these ideas that everything in the spiritual side should just be easy because we serve God, we don't know God. God doesn't mind a little hard work. In fact, he seems to really like it, in fact. Little by little plus impossible praying. Leaning forward with audacity, boldness, and courage. God, I want double. Understanding little by little with audacious living means every day when you take a step, it's a bold step. It's a courageous step. And this equals the changing of a nation. I just gave you the pattern for how a nation has changed. We have a na nation or a series of nations known as the land of Canaan. And this entire territory is going to be transformed. How? Little by little, through impossible praying, through impossible doing. We look outside our windows right now and we see a nation that is full of a lot of Canaanitish powers that have moved into God's territory and need to be pushed back. I'm not talking about the people. I'm talking about the spiritual factions at work. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual powers and we need to remember that afresh but we have been given everything we need to push them out but if we're looking for it to happen through an election on november 3rd if you just throw in the right vote then it'll all be gone that's not how it works are you ready to do some work are you ready to lean forward and say god i want the full package my desire isn't that America is just a great nation. My desire is that the church is a strong representation of Jesus Christ. That's my dream of dreams. I wouldn't mind America being a great nation again. God-fearing where we become the factory of missions again. I hey, I'm all for it. But that's not going to happen unless the church first awakens and becomes what it ought to be and takes the territory of promise that God has given us. So cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, God does the leading. All throughout this land of promise, there is a leader. And now in the land of, oh, I'm sorry, the wilderness, there is a leader. Cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. God is leading. When you get into the land of promise, you still need to be led. You still need to have something leading you. You are entering into a new territory a territory of promise, a territory of Christ. And God wants to lead you every step of the way. It's not just your opinion. Like, I'd like to go over here and take some territory. Or, hey, over there, that looks like a beautiful hill. Let's go take it. Actually, you go where God leads you to go. And in due time, you will take it all. Follow him. He knows how to take this territory.
So there's another parallel I'm going to build on here, which is the river of life that ebbs from the heavenly temple. God does the leading. So Christ is going to die on the cross, and his side is going to be opened up, and out of it is going to flow a river. It's the river of life. Blood, life, which is what to a Jew is life, and water. It's life water. It's living water. It's also known as the Holy Spirit. When Jesus dies, he is going to give up his life. The veil of the temple is going to rent in two, which means we have access in, but also he has access out. And he wants to lead the church via his Holy Spirit, via the river. So this river is coursing. What we do is we follow it. And there's a great story of that in Ezekiel 47. Then he brought me back to the door of the house. Now this, this temple in Ezekiel has never been built on this earth. So it's oftentimes referred to as the heavenly temple. It's an incredible picture of Jesus Christ, out of whom is going to flow a river. Then he brought me back to the door of the house, and behold, water was flowing from under the threshold of the house toward the east. For the house faced east, and the water was flowing down from under, from the right side of the house, and from the south of the altar. When the man went out toward the east with a line in his hand, he measured a thousand cubits, which he led me through the water, water reaching the ankles. So when we think of following a river, we think of walking on the bank. No, no, not this river. This river, we jump right in, and we begin to walk it. And he measured a thousand cubits, and he led me through the water, water reaching the ankles. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, water reaching the knees. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, water reaching the loins. Again, he measured a thousand. It was a river that I could not ford, for the water had risen enough, to, enough water to swim in, a river that could not be forded. So, in the New Testament, we're going to see this likened to the Holy Spirit. So, what we have, a lot of people think that when they come to Christ, and then they talk about an encounter with the Holy Spirit, that they now have everything, instead of recognizing that they have a little but they're supposed to exercise the little they have. Have you ever read the, the parables? You are given a little, and then the master says, what are you going to do with it? And so you invest it, and what does it lead to? More. What you're going to see is you're going to see ankles to knee. It's double. You're going to see knees to loins. Double. You're going to see loins, waist, could I just call it waist? Waist to Head, double. You're going to see a doubling taking place here. The Spirit of God wants to lead us into the land of promise, little by little. And as we go, there will be an increase of strength. The question is, are we willing to lean in this direction? Whatever you have now is wonderful. And I don't want us to complain about it and to begrudge what God has given us now. When you've taken Jericho, I think you should celebrate the taking of Jericho and you shouldn't bemoan it just because there's more to be taken. I think you should cherish it. However, when he starts moving towards I, you should move towards I. When he begins to move throughout the land, you follow him. Where the spirit goes, where the river goes, start walking. And you will notice that there will be an increase of strength in your life. And pretty soon, there will be less of you and more of him. You will decrease. As the river gets deep, deeper, you will decrease. This is how you decrease. And he will increase until what is seen in your life and in your ministry and in your walking will be the river, the work of the river, which is all to reveal Jesus. 
and it will not be you. Now imagine if we all jump into that river and we all start walking this way. What could we possibly discover with less of us and more of God? Where is he going to take us? He's going to take us to what's called the Dead Sea in this story. And you know what it's going to do? It's going to teem with life. He takes us where there is death so that he can cause it to teem with life. He has an agenda in this land. Are we willing to follow him where he goes? Boldly following the Holy Spirit, little by little. Okay, I mean, I've tried to describe what it's like to follow the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes, this is, if this was a flashlight, right? The flashlight of the Holy Spirit will every now and then go, like that, and I'll be like, I just saw something. Okay, I think he's taking me here. But it's like, how much do I know about it? Nothing. I just saw something in the future. And then the rest of the time, he's like at my toes. I'm like, is that all you're going to give me? Is it use it? Shuffle. And then he moves forward a few more inches. Shuffle. Every now and then, whew. And I'm like, what? what was that? Uh, with the kids, I have a certain sound that I make. It's called the pterodactyl. I'm not going to give it for you because it's a special sound for special occasions. But every now and then when the kids least expect it, I will whip out the pterodactyl sound. And then, then they're like, oh, there it was. And then it will go away for a couple of years. And then it will come back. I was putting the kids down the other day and it was just out of nowhere. I gave like a pterodactyl sound in the hallway downstairs in the basement and then just disappeared into the night. And they're like, you know, it's this legendary sound. And that's sort of the way it is with God where it's just like, whoop. And they're like, wow, I just saw something about my future, but then it went back to my toes. And I have no idea how to get from here to there. But God's giving me a hint. He's saying, Eric, we have a lot more. Keep leaning forward. Dare to ask for more. Don't settle in Gilgal, Ludi. Just because you have seen the triumph of Jericho does not mean you stop there. Onward, march, pull up those tent stakes. There is more territory to be had. Let's pick up our arrows and strike the ground. So just imagine that I handed you arrows today. Arrows of truth, of God's purposes in this earth, of what God has promised that he will do, of who he is, his nature, and we just sort of stow it in there. We have this really good, solid grip on some wonderful arrows of truth. And then God says to us, strike the ground with those. We may not fully understand what that means, but after reading that one story, I have a hunch that we're going to do it a little differently than we would have done it. In fact, this is what I'm going to present as our model, because this is prayer. Whack! Was that my sound before, or was it like whoosh? What was it? Whoomp? Whoomp! Well, that's not as good as my... Uh, whoomp! 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 I don't know that I like my sound, <laughs> but that's Prayer. Every repetition of prayer. How long do you pray? How long do you keep asking? You ask until he tells you to stop. He wants to do something in this earth. Do you know that he's faithful? Do you know that he's true? Then you start swinging those arrows and whacking them against the ground until you see heaven come to this earth. So here's my way of saying it. And let's, let's, let us not stop striking until he lays his hand on our arm and says, enough. That will do, dear children. I don't know that we've reached that point. 
which means I think we need to be whacking the ground with some arrows. Do you remember who you serve? Do you remember where he is seated? Do you remember that all things are beneath his feet? Do you remember that if you submit to him and you resist the devil, the devil will flee? Do you remember that greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world? Do you remember that if God be for you, who can stand against you? Do you remember that no weapon fashioned against us shall prosper? Do you remember? If you remember, you will stir yourself from your tent states of wanting to camp in Gilgal, and you will pull up those tent stakes, and you will cry to your soul onward. Let's take the whole thing. I don't know if any Christian before us has ever reached the full outer limits. And it's hard to imagine that out of all the generations, it's going to be ours that does. But we might as well go after it. I mean, if Elisha's going to ask some audacious prayer requests, well, maybe we should. And that's a pretty good one. That God would do something supernatural in this generation of such mediocrity. A generation that has been termed the dumbest generation ever. That's the youngest generation. I, I mentioned that too. I didn't come up with that name. But I mentioned that just to stir up the youngest generation. To be like, I don't like that, Ludi. And I'm like, good, good. Because I want to defy it too. Because I think my generation was the second dumbest generation ever. <laughs> I want to see something change in this world just like you do. But it is not going to change just from an election on November 3rd of 2020. I'm not saying that that doesn't matter. I'm saying what matters right now is an election that is taking place in your soul right now to lean forward or back. If you want the fullness, lean in. Let's go after it. Father, this is for you. Move us forward. We want to follow you. Where your river goes, we will follow. We want more of you. We want to keep walking. Keep taking territory. Lord, lead us, guide us, and direct us. It's in the precious name that we ask this. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.